Hello and welcome back to another episode of Uncovered, produced by TVC22. I'm your host, Bruce De Cruz. Today we will be speaking with Russell and Andrea Gibbs, third generation beekeepers who have since taken over the family business and are now located in Van Cleek Hill. Today we will be speaking about the importance of bees in our local ecosystems, how to get started if you want to start beekeeping as a hobby, and how when you support your local beekeepers by buying locally made honey, not only are you helping out the environment, the local economy, you're also making a healthier choice. To find out more, watch the whole interview. How are you guys doing today? Good. We're good. <laughs> awesome. It's good to hear. Yeah. It's a lovely day. So uh, what do you guys do? Describe what beekeeping is for those who don't know. Hmm. So, well, we run a third generation beekeeping business that's located in Van Cleek Hill. And what, on a daily basis, well, this time of year, uh, it's August, so we're um, taking honey off of the hives that we've um, been collecting all summer long and so we take it and we take it back to our honey house and we extract the honey out of it. And we're a commercial apiary so we uh, sell the honey that we make. We put it in bottles, we sell it to uh, jars and bottles into stores, to restaurants, we sell it bulk as well to kitchens and people using it to you know, on a larger scale as well and bake goods and that sort of thing. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's our full-time gig, and we run about 450 hives at 30 different yards in the Van Cleek Hill area. Yeah. Perfect. And going back to you guys being the sole owners of the third generation, if I'm correct in saying. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, you guys are able to control the quality throughout the whole process? Yeah, so we are, uh, like Andrea said, we've got about 450 hives. Uh, we manage everything, all of the honey that we sell um, comes from our bees, all the beeswax come from, comes from our bees, and uh, we're sort of in control of every step of the process. Yeah, it's really important to us to note that all of our honey comes from our bees, just because there's, uh, yeah, you can buy honey at a grocery store that's been packed from who knows where. It could be Canadian, it could be from overseas, and so we just like to tell people that all of the honey that you're buying when you buy Gibbs Honey comes from our bees from our yards so that you, you know, we know exactly the conditions the bees have been kept in and how the honey has been processed so we can ensure it is raw, which means that it hasn't been pasteurized or heated past a certain point. Mm -hmm. Right, and off that point, uh, why would you not want to pasteurize honey? Mm -hmm. So raw honey has a lot of benefits that pasteurized honey doesn't have. Um, one being just even the flavor to begin with, which is you get a lot more depth of flavor from uh, raw honey. The reason people pasteurize it is so that it all tastes uniform and it doesn't crystallize as quickly. Um, but then probably more important is that there's a lot of micronutrients that exist in raw honey that are eliminated when... Um, they're heated and it's pasteurized. So all the true benefits that you get from honey, the pollens, all the nutrients are remain when it's raw and are um, 
yeah, ruined when it's pasteurized. So that's important for us to keep it raw as the bees intended. Right, and just keeping it raw because you don't need to worry about honey being spoiled, correct? Yeah, it's actually the only food that never goes bad. So they've found uh, honey in Egyptian tombs that is still edible. So honey will crystallize and it's actually a good sign when honey crystallizes. Again, it's more likely to crystallize uh, more quickly when it's raw. So, you know, it's, it's a sign that it is, you know, as it's intended. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't mean it's gone bad. It just means that the crystals of the sugar have crystallized. And if you heat it, warm it gently, you can liquefy it again. Yeah. That's actually, it's, uh, that's how the honey sort of preserves and stays uh, shelf stable basically forever is, is when it crystallizes, it gets into a state where basically nothing can happen, nothing can happen to it. The bees have basically, when they take the nectar into the hive, they, um, evaporate the water in the the nectar to make honey at a very specific uh, balance of sugar versus water to eliminate almost all the water, which is what typically spoils in food. Right. Perfect. The bees can sort of get it between 16 and 18 percent, and then that's it. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, just kind of going onto a different tangent now. Mm -hmm. uh, on social media, TikTok mostly, <laughs> people are posting uh, something called swarming and yeah. people are wondering what you're supposed to do. But first off, what is swarming, just for those who don't know? Swarming is a, is a good thing. Um, it means that your colony is very strong and they're, you know, we get swarming in the spring, typically is when swarming will happen. Um, they're looking to basically do two things. One, um, extend their genetics. So it's a way of bees to, you know, taking a strong hive, strong genetics and multiplying that. So if they're doing well, they, and then it's also obviously a production thing. So if they've mm -hmm. built up their numbers to a certain size and there's no longer room in the hive or wherever they are naturally, they move, um, half of the, the colony to another location. Yeah. So it's, again, the stronger the bee is, the, you know, potentially, again, depending on the genetics, the more likely it is to swarm to a new location to split. Yeah. And we use that as, you know, in our own purposes to help um, maintain the number of hives that we have as well. We yeah. kind of can help control the splits too. Yeah, we also sort of, uh, we try to mitigate swarming obviously because uh, swarming will uh, in terms of honey production, if a colony swarms in the spring, it'll it'll knock the colony back about uh, a month um, in terms of production. And you want to, you know, we want to capture the nectar flow, which generally starts at the at the end of May, beginning of June. So we basically aim to prevent swarming by splitting the hives as they're building up, mm -hmm. so that they don't have the opportunity to create a new queen and have half of the other the other half leave with the existing queen. Yeah. Exactly. And so when you're talking about cutting back on honey production, is that because A, the half of the hive is leaving, and B, because a lot of energy is put into just kind of creating the new queen and everything? Yeah. So there's a there's a, a period of time where the, you know, the queen cell or the queen in the cell will need to mature, hatch, mate, and then begin laying. That process usually takes about a month, uh, give or take. Um, and then... The other way that it can knock you back production-wise is, is if you're able to catch the, the swarm, that's great because a swarm is a, is a very highly motivated colony of bees. Uh, they're ready to build, ready to, to you know, make that new home and go out and start foraging, um, but you have to be there to catch it. And obviously the bees that are left with the new queen take time to build up to the numbers yeah. that you would need to get to have, again, a, a strong productive honey mm -hmm. flow. Perfect. And just uh, going on with this tangent, 
So lots of people during quarantine took up beekeeping as a hobby yeah. mm -hmm. and in residential areas especially. And some people didn't know what swarming was, right? And so what should people do should they see a giant swarm in residential areas? They should call their uh, nearest beekeeper. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically the best way to handle it. Uh, you know, a, a pest company is not going to do anything. You can't, uh, your pest companies aren't supposed to kill bees or exterminate bees. Um, so, you know. A local beekeeper can remove it and relocate it to, you know, a proper hive. The thing to know about swarms is that they're generally pretty docile. So when the, you see them all clustered together and bearded around the queen, they're not, um, going, you know, they're not actively looking to forage or be doing, they're basically just there to collect and find a new location yeah. so they send scouts out but they're not like an aggressive yeah. number of bees so you don't have to be afraid but then the best thing to do is to call a local beekeeper who can come and and collect it yeah you don't want to you don't want to agitate them even though they are docile you don't want to go and you know poke it with a stick or anything like that <laughs> right so and another reason why they're so docile is just because there's no hive to protect and there's no larvae and no honey to protect either Yep, and they're also, so part of the behavior too when they leave the hive is, is uh, they'll also fill up on honey, so they're quite, uh, you know, they're quite full. They're, you know, there will be bees within that swarm that have a task, which is, you know, scouting a new location for a house, um, but, uh, but they're generally pretty, pretty chill. To give you an idea, when a beekeeper collects a swarm, often they use like a brush to brush yeah. it off of a surface. So they're really gentle. You're yeah. basically just kind of taking that big cluster, that beard, and putting it into a box very gently with a brush. Yeah. Or like, you know, kind of gently shaking it into a box. Yeah. And from there, they'll get a new home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, it's, better than, uh, it's better than them sort of taking up you know, in somebody's house or in a soffit exactly. or somewhere like that. Yeah, because, you know, they obviously, like in this climate, they can't overwinter unprotected. So they will seek out situations like inside of a wall, which obviously mm. if it's a warm house can give them protection over winter, but yeah. you don't want um, no. a colony wall. of wall, <laughs> bees in your wall because they'll build out comb in there and yeah. stay there for a while. And so when you're talking about swarming, you're not only protecting humans from... Uh, just being in close vicinity to bees, but you also want to protect the bees as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You want to make sure that they again have the opportunity if they if you catch them early enough in the season to build out in a new hive. Yeah, because depending on where they can relocate, sometimes it's not going to be um, you know good enough shelter for the winter, and then they they just might not make the winter. So right. they have a better chance if if we can capture them and rehome them into a proper colony. And saving the bees are so important just because, just in general, their numbers are declining, correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many, I mean, there's been a lot more conversations about saving the bees and why they're important. Yeah. Um, bees and pollinators in general are responsible for our food production. So without that, we don't have the food, that fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of reasons that the bee numbers are decreasing, and a lot of it has to do with, obviously, pesticides and mites and things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's another reason why, you know, beekeepers are important is because they're able to maintain bees in a way that keeps them hygienic, keeps them clean, and helps deal with things like mites, yeah. which are also, a, you know, as much of a threat as things like pesticides. And yeah. those two things together cause a really big problem, which is why I think a lot of the numbers are dwindling so much. So that proper management is critical. Perfect. And just backtracking a little bit when we were talking about people taking up 
uh, beekeeping during quarantine. Yeah. You know, I feel like people were a little unprepared. So what should people know before they go into hobby beekeeping? Mm-hmm. Well, to kind of just <laughs> tie into the whole idea of saving the bees, I mean, I think there's a lot of people do it from a really great place, which is yeah. they want to help increase the bees and they want to do something for the environment. And we always say to people, the, the number one thing you can do is to to support your local beekeeper, whether that's us or someone else. Like mm-hmm. those are the people who are full time working with the bees, again, making sure that mite levels are low, making sure that they're healthy, yeah. work, worrying about bee genetics, which is really important. Yeah. Um, so that's the number one thing that people can do. If you really want to keep bees, um, you know, there, there's also other things. You can go and visit a beekeeper if you want to interact yeah. with bees. There's kind of like a sliding scale because ultimately it's a lot of work. And I think yeah. a lot of people aren't prepared for that amount of work. Yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, we've been around this long enough and we've seen people that have, uh, you know, gotten into beekeeping as a hobby uh, and quickly realize how much work it is. And I think the the common misconception is, is that you, you know, you can get bees, put them in your yard and, you know, at the end of the year you get honey and that's great. But there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's lot, a of lot of steps in between. And then also there's a lot of steps once you harvest honey to make sure that the bees will survive over the winter and then maintain healthy. And, and, and it's, again, it's not just maintaining your colony. It's, mm-hmm. Bees, again, they swarm, they spread, they mate with other bees. So you want to make sure that you're keeping them in a way that's hygienic. And that's really a a very specific timing thing to do to make sure of. So a lot of people who don't have the time to do that, again, are having bees that could be harming the local population of other bees. Um, I think, you know, if you are really interested in beekeeping, which is great, we would recommend that people spend time with local beekeepers, shadowing, Mm -hmm. getting to know, taking a course, really putting in the time the same that you would if you were going to take on any other kind of animal yeah. um, it's a responsibility so getting your hands on experience first before having your own and really finding a mentor that can help you through the process yeah and so just wanting to take this conversation in a different direction going back to what you're ta- uh, what you said about being a third generation beekeeper mm-hmm. describe that you know third generation that must be a hundred years yeah so my grandfather started keeping bees in 1934 uh, at the family farm, which is over in Dalkeith, about 20 minutes away from here. Um, And my grandfather started it then, and then my two uncles had taken over the business and turned it into a a larger commercial operation. And they had run that for probably the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then personally, I got into beekeeping in 2011 when I was living in Hamilton. I came up and I worked with my uncles, I worked with a local beekeeper, and I started with about three colonies there and then uh, expanded up to about 30. And then uh, we we came here on a weekend and <laughs> just out of the blue, we kind of looked at the far, uh, looked at some farms, we visited Van Cleek Hill, uh, we talked to my uncles. The timing all just kind of came together. Yeah. We, I, um... So we both had jobs in the city. I was a literary agent in Toronto and looking to do something different. Russell's doing graphic design. And yeah, we'd been talking a lot about like, what can we do sort of in the agritourism world? What can we do sort of outside of the city? And it all just kind of came together timing wise pretty perfectly. And yeah, the weekend we moved, we checked it out. We ended up putting in an offer and, uh, and yeah, it made sense, like, uh, after. Yeah. yeah, and it, it made complete sense. Like, it's, uh, you know, for a business that's been around since 1934, it's kind of, you know, I think that the other, um, you know, the alternate reality version of 
what happened was it, it just would have dissolved. Um, my uncles would have sold off hives here and there, and that would have been it. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to be able to take over a business that's been around for so long. And honestly, the location is perfect, too. Like, for us, what we really want to do is get involved with the community, build something that, again, is a you know, beautiful product, but also a place where people can come and experience that. Um, you know, we've started with things like candles as well. Um, we're looking to build out the number of products that we're doing beyond just honey, other products that, um, you know, are from the hive as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, get people out here and, and experiencing bees. We think that honey is this really cool thing where... Um, I think a lot of people think of it as like a single flavor, it's just honey, but it's a lot like wine or coffee. You can really kind of taste the environment and taste the seasons in the honey. You can taste the blooms, the, the yeah. you know, that year might have had more or less water. So it's a really a unique product that yeah. we think is a really cool way for people to experience their environment with. Awesome. Andrea, you just made honey sound like arts right there. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, but I did have another question for Russell. You know, taking over your business or your family's business, do you feel a connection to your ancestors when you do beekeeping? Of course, yeah, yeah. Like it feels, uh, it feels something that's been, you know. It, I, I mean, I think that I felt this when I started doing it as a hobby, um, you know, way back because I was, I was just looking to do something else as a hobby, and uh, my dad suggested. He's like, well, why don't you try beekeeping? And, uh, you know, he. He literally went in the basement and he got his his old veil and a couple of beekeeping books and uh, you know once I started to do it I kind of felt like this is uh, I really connected with it and I you know is that genetic I don't I don't know maybe <laughs> but uh, but I, I I mean you can't you can't not feel connected to the land when you're doing it because you're out working in nature and it's uh, it's a great experience yeah like I said I think it's it's definitely something that I feel a a greater connection with my family, um, you know, with the fact that we're able to keep the business going and, and keep it in the family. And there's a lot of people, uh, you know, in town and around this area that are familiar with Gibbs Honey and, and know the family and know, uh, you know, my uncles or, or whoever. And, and they, they relate the Gibbs family with, uh, with beekeeping. So it's nice to be able to keep that going. And Andrea, you were a, a literary agent before. Yeah. So did you just discover uh, beekeeping when you started? Yeah, through Russell. Yeah. I mean, I'd always spent, I grew up in Toronto, I was born and raised there, but I always spent a lot of time um, outside. I used to ride horses and so always enjoyed working with animals and working outside. That kind of work is something that I really appreciate and was missing in my life. Uh, so yeah, I mean, from starting with, you know, when Russell had his bees in Hamilton, just going out with him and learning a little bit more. And then mm -hmm. obviously when we moved here, working with, the first year we really worked intensively with Russell's uncles and that was amazing for me to get a chance to kind of be at an apiary of the scale and learn yeah. from people who've been doing it so long it's been really awesome it was like a really great intensive course yeah, yeah. perfect uh, honestly I think you guys are two prime examples uh, I just noticed uh, a big trend of people leaving their city jobs and just kind of pursuing their passions is that kind of what described you two basically I think so I mean I don't know if I don't I don't know if you if you would have asked me five years ago if we would have been doing this. I, I don't know if I would have come up with that. It's it's been something that we've you know we're evolving with and we're learning more about. Um, we're definitely passionate about it and passionate about the the sort of lifestyle of living out here. Yeah. Um, and then also again the the opportunity to do more things on the farm, and 
I think just to even get people to know this community too, yeah. right? Like we're really excited to have discovered it and we would love to introduce it to other people as well and to contribute what we can to the community. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, in Toronto or in Hamilton or places you're kind of, you know, we would visit the country on weekends and so to have the opportunity to be here full time is amazing and you know, I think it's, it is definitely a dream and yeah. there's a lot of other stuff that comes along with it that is a challenge, but yeah. you know, we talk about it being the kind of challenge that we want. Yeah. So, you know, there's challenges in the city, um, that were kind of bumming me out and there's challenges here, which are fun that yeah. are, you know. And there's something also to be said about when you, when you make a product that, well, I mean the bees make it, but, but when we, when we put out a product that people, um, enjoy and connect with right away there's something that's so fulfilling about that that is really uh that's really a cool thing like you know it's you can't beat it and it's just like the possibilities are endless like mm -hmm. we love again we love going to markets we love selling directly to consumers we love working with people at stores who enjoy the product as much as we do yeah. we especially love working with chefs who do amazing things with it we just um we started selling beeswax to a bar who uses it in their cocktails which was super cool yeah. So the more that we can do things like that, like that's exciting for us. Totally. Like to me, that's way better than sitting behind a desk. So. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, final question, you guys. Uh, where do you see the business and just this whole empire almost going <laughs> in five years? I hope say. it's not an empire. That sounds scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we obviously want to continue maintaining what the family has built. So yeah. really high quality honey. Um, you know, obviously taking a little bit more in the retail direction, more in jars to kind of extend the reach that way. Like we've said, working with restaurants, working with chefs. Yeah. And then having more people out to the farm and doing things like, uh, tours and tastings and, you know, different kinds of events once, yeah. uh, you know, the world is back to something. <laughs> yeah. I think we also, <laughs> you know, we are, we're hopeful about again, new products, yeah. um, but always maintaining again, that, that. Um, integrity of whatever we're doing, where we're hands-on from the start to finish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just one more follow-up question to that. Uh, why should people be eating local honey made in this area? Mm -hmm. um, well, first of all, people should be eating local honey wherever they live, yeah. uh, number, because A, it supports local economies, which mm -hmm. is really important to us. Uh, and also it's really good for them. Pollens, all of that thing. The more you can consume from your area, people say it has benefits for your immune system, for allergies. Yeah. Um, and from this area specifically, I mean, I think we're biased, but we think it's, it's amazing. It's a perfect, the perfect conditions for wildflower honey, which is what we produce. Yeah. Um, everything we do is multivarietal. We don't have the kind of climate where we can have like one kind of flower. Yeah. So you get a really wide breadth of flavor from this area, which we think is super unique and yeah, mm -hmm. we're proud of. Yeah. 